It is a fantastic movie if you've not watched it. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. It's about this little 11-year-old girl named Riley, and we watch as her emotions cooperate and compete with her as she navigates a recent move from Minnesota to San Francisco and just all the, the drama and the, and, the, and the heartache that happens. You get caught up in it as this collision of things are happening in her. And parents would actually describe Inside Out as a documentary on raising a girl, but that's a whole other, whole other conversation to have. But I, I love that line in the opening of the trailer. I don't know if you caught that, but it, do you ever look at someone and wonder what's going on inside their head? Anybody do that? Don't look around. Don't elbow the person you're next to. But I think Inside Out it really illustrates an important point this morning that we're going we're to unpack a little bit today, and that is how emotions impact our spiritual and our emotional maturity. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write some of these thoughts down. Today's going to be, let me describe it a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. Today's going to be a little bit challenging, um, and today's going to possibly be very liberating for some of us. It's going to put us in a, maybe a new way to think about maturity, think about how we grow as Christ followers. So here's, here's kind of one observation. While our physical maturity happens naturally, emotional maturity must be intentionally developed. It just doesn't happen. You will grow physically, but emotionally, you can remain a 17-year-old who just happens to shave. You can have lots of responsibility, and emotionally, you can't manage all that responsibility. The work of emotional health is often complicated by things like a lack of emotional healthy role models in our life. We just never really were around people growing up who managed their emotions very well. So we don't really know what that looks like. There might be a trauma or a pain from our past that has stunted our emotional development. Maybe even in this room, one of the, the challenges is that we believe a set of wrong or maybe even unbiblical religious beliefs, and they've impacted how we approach emotions what we understand of them, how we respond to them. There could be, just generally speaking, just a lack of understanding of what's required from me to be emotionally healthy. I just don't really understand it. I don't fully embrace it. So let's talk through, instead of just kind of a, a, a definition of emotional maturity, I just want to give you some traits of what, it, what a person who is emotionally mature looks like. How do they act? What do they do? And Maybe you can use these as a gauge of where do you land on this. One of, them, one of the traits is, one of the characteristics is they resolve conflict in biblical, grace-filled ways. They understand that conflict's going to happen, and what they do is they say, okay, let me respond to this according to how Jesus has already spoken to this. It's not unclear what Jesus says about conflict, how to address it. Do I follow that? That an emotionally mature person says, okay, what do I need to do? The sex is, there's, second is there's a strong sense of empathy. An emotionally healthy person sees other people as God sees them. There's a strong sense of self-worth. They have a very strong, clear sense 
of their identity and their value in God. They don't take it in possessions. They don't take it in their accomplishments. And yet they're humble, interestingly enough. They integrate their faith into every facet of their life. God has room in every arena to work. Conversely, immaturity looks like they use God to run from God. It's very easy. This happens a lot in Christian practices where we will get kind of caught up in a lot of Christian activities to escape from the pain of our past or the responsibility that we have to take. We'll use God to run from God. Another sort of display of immaturity is that we'll often just simply ignore the emotions that we have. We'll just kind of not deal with our anger. We won't deal with our grief. We won't deal with our fears. Sometimes we will simply find ourselves dividing our lives into sacred, and then there's Monday. There's sacred, and then there's our marriage. There's sacred, and then there's my finances, my stuff. There's sacred, and then there's my habits. And those two don't mix. The next kind of indication is that we will sometimes live without limits. We don't know how to say no. We don't know how to say that's enough. That's a boundary I'm not going to cross. Another display of some degree of emotional immaturity is that we are hypercritical of other people. We're very comfortable judging who is spiritual and who is not. What is deep and what is not. We're just, we're just very easy at picking up in the biblical story of one story, picking up a stone and throwing it. That's a display of an absence of maturity. And I suspect that in those characteristics that I just laid out, the truth is, from this stage to the chair, there's room for us to all grow. All of us would say, yeah, there's, there's some room in my life for me to grow emotionally mature. This might be one of the most important issues I've seen in my 23 years of ministry, is the absence of emotional maturity hitting and stunting the impact that God has on that person, on their family, and on their community. See, because it's, possibly, it's possible to be gifted and spiritually immature, but it's impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. You can be gifted, you can be talented, you can be spiritually immature, but you cannot be spiritually mature and be emotionally immature. Those two things cannot be separate. Look at this verse out of Mark chapter 12. It's a familiar, familiar response that Jesus gives. He's asked, what is the most important command of all? How does all this hang together? And this is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of it. All of it. God, you can have all of it. You can have that hurt. You can have my desire. You can have it all. With all my heart, with all my soul, and with how much of my mind? All of it. All my thoughts. And with how much strength? All my strength. I bring all of myself to you, God. 
See, there's this, there's this, this powerful thing where God is saying, listen, I don't want to be limited in your life. I want to work within your life. So how does, how does God provoke emotional maturity? Well, it's interesting because religious practice generally says that transformation comes from the outside in. Religion says that true transformation happens as we regulate our behavior. So if we kind of fall in that trap, we're very attentive to how our behavior is and the behavior of other people. We'll monitor things like our appearance. We'll monitor things like our words. We'll monitor how much information we're gaining and who has more information. It's very external. That's religion at its core. Jesus and the biblical role of transformation is that transformation comes from the inside out. The inside out. There's a time when Jesus is hanging around the religious kind of establishment, and he is just kind of going on this list of troubles that they are going to encounter because they've bought into a false belief that everything is important externally, nothing really matters inside. You're not really monitoring the condition of your heart. And he continues to go on to this, and he uses this phrase, woe. So he continues in this Matthew 23. Look at the, We'll just pick it up as one of the woes, if you will. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean, cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, using their metaphor for their life, but inside they are full of extortion and greed. You're blind. You're blind, Pharisee. Because here's the thing you need to do first. You need to clean the inside of the cup. You need to do the work on the inside of your life and bring all of that out. And then the other arena of your life will be clean. The reason why some of us are so frustrated at faith, the reason why we have some friends who have given up on their faith is because they continue to simply monitor their behavior. And they go, I'm done. I'm tired. I can't be good enough. To which Jesus said, you're right. That's why I have to do a profound work on the inside of you. That's why we need to tackle that fear. That's why we need to expose what's really going on when you're so angry. Why are you so, you control people? And you've got to control your husband, you've got to control your wife, you've got to control your kids, you've got to control everything and everybody around you. What's really going on? That's not a behavior. That's the result of something deep within you. Deep within you. It's interesting when we think about this, there's an image here that will help us kind of continue to build on this idea. The image of the iceberg. One-tenth of the iceberg is above the surface. It's what everybody sees. But the problems, the nine-tenths of the iceberg, lies beneath the surface. And it's what's beneath the surface that's going to drive and determine the damage that can come if you're not monitoring the deeper parts of your life. And stress has a way of bringing all of that to the surface, doesn't it? It's, it's, and if we aren't Christ followers who go, listen, I've got to get 
I've got to get a, a rhythm in my life and a way to get to the deeper things. What will end up happening is we will shipwreck a family. We will shipwreck the things we care about. We will, we will shipwreck, shipwreck our health. And we'll go, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It's the 90% below the surface. Now, there's a story we're going we're gonna to look at today out of John chapter 5. If you have a smartphone, you can follow along with me. We're only going to look at a little bit of that story. There's more to the story than what we'll look at today. But it's an extremely powerful kind of narrative to what we're discussing today about a man who is broken, who is stuck, and he encounters Jesus. And it's John chapter 5, and and I'm going to just use this as kind of an example here for us a little bit today. I'll try to use this, see if it helps us. There's a, there's a, uh, in John chapter 5, we learn about a sheep gate. And the sheep gate was the gate that the sheep would come into to be sacrificed. They'd come into the city, and by the sheep gate was a pool. So if you imagine over here, pool and and in this community, all the handicapped, all the, d- the disabled, the blind, the, the, la- the people that cannot walk, the deaf, whatever affirmity or affliction a person had and it debilitated them to the point that they couldn't function, they would gather around that pool. They would sit on a mat much like this and they would just hang out there and they'd beg. And then there was a belief that as the water would stir... That would be the sign that an angel was at work and whomever could somehow get to the water first would be whole. Now, we don't know how that water was stirred. It's thought that there was probably just an underground spring, but it was, a, it was just this, this sea of broken humanity. Now, we, we kind of have our gathering places too as people, don't we? Uh, Facebook, perfect broken gathering place where like people get together and they really do share what they're thinking and what they feel and you know who they're mad at and then you know you kind of color it all in and go oh okay there's just we all kind of have these gathering places right some of our friends are gathering places where we we sit and we pull our mat up and we sit down and we we're broken they're broken and you know we're all kind of hanging out complaining and all that kind of thing jesus walks into that and he sees this man in the next few moments this man is given an opportunity to change it's very very powerful let's let's kind of look look through this chapter uh, 5 verse 6 when jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time he asked him do you want to get well now, can we be honest about that for a moment? This guy's sitting here. He's been here for 38 years, Scripture says, begging. Isn't that a stupid question? What if it's not? Like, of course, Jesus, he wants to get well. Why do you think he's at the water? Like, that's where everybody goes. But I think Jesus is revealing something about human nature is that there are a lot of people who don't really want to get well. There are a lot of people, because see, here's the thing. For this man to get well, 
it's going to create all kinds of challenges. I mean, remember, this has worked for 38 years. This, his family has participated in this. They brought him there. And so for 38 years, this is all he knows. And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? Another reason why he might not want to change is because it, it will create conflict. It'll, it'll have to require that he changes his beliefs. He might not get, want to get well because it would require him to take personal responsibility. You see, isn't it easier for me to blame everybody for my lack of growth? My lack of maturity? Now, just thinking about this. Here I am on my mat. How does Jesus come to me? How does Jesus come to you? Now, he doesn't walk in our lives physically and, you know, that kind of thing. But here, here's some... Here's some examples, and, and maybe you can, you can kind of think of these and see if any of these have happened to you. Because I would submit to you that Jesus walks in your life and He intervenes. He sees your condition, and out of love, He says the same thing. Do you want to get well? See, here's some, here's some ways that Jesus connects with us. I think He shows up in our lives through the challenging words of a friend, or a relationship. Somebody says something to you that says, I think you can do better. I think actually the way you're acting is immature. What's going on there? I think Jesus is incarnate in that moment, and He's intervening. Maybe it's negative feedback. Maybe you're in a, in a situation at work, and someone gives you a performance review that says, you're not living up to the standards of this company. You're not up to the potential that we see within your talent. That's an opportunity. God could be incarnate in that. Or maybe it's a difficult circumstance. You're sitting here and, it, and it's just really challenging right now. You encounter a hardship. Maybe it's new information. You go to a life group. You read something. You, 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 you encounter truth and you all of a sudden have a new opportunity for growth. Jesus could be showing up in that. Perhaps there's a desire that you have that has remained unmet for years now. Could Jesus be in that? And I love it as I think about kind of my mat and how God encounters me and how God shows up in my life and he continues to ask, Andy, do you want to get well? Because if you do... I want that for you. You can actually stop praying about it all the time. I love you. I want to work on this. I'm revealed to you. I'm, I'm working your life. Stop using all my activity and all this religious stuff to just really just kind of put me at bay and say, oh gosh, I would get well if God would show up. Guess what? I've shown up. I've shown up. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I love this next thing. And I can really relate to this man's response. Look at this in verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, 
Someone else goes down ahead of me. Can you just hear it? Wah, wah. My kids do that. Wambulance. Wah, 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 wah. Sir, it's everybody else's fault while I'm on this mat. Come on, it's my parents' fault. It's the economy. It's this church's fault. Nobody's nice to me in this church. You know, I, see, here it is. For me, here's the reason why I'm sick. It's you. It's your fault. See, I'm not, I'm not responsible for my choices that I'm making. I, I, how I treat you. The reason why I treat you the way you, you get treated from me, even though, yeah, 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 I know it's not biblical, and I know I'm gossiping, and I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm like judging you and all that good stuff, but if you would just stop doing what you're doing, I wouldn't act that way. It's not take responsibility. No, 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 no. I've been on this mat for 24 years. My parents were on this mat. My buddies are on this mat. Of course I want to get off this mat, but I can't. See, this is such a powerful story, and I love it. Jesus listens to that, like he hears that, and you know what he says? Here's where it gets really hard, guys. He says, you know what? That's enough. That's enough. It's time to stop the myths that you've believed in. What do you want for year 39 of your life? See, that, that's an important question. If you're 23 years old, 24 years old, and you're stuck, you're kind of recreationally watching porn every time you get stressed out, let me ask you a question. What do you want at 25? If you're 34 years old, you've been married for seven years, and your marriage is tanking, what do you want for the eighth year of your marriage? Well, it's her fault. It, you know, and I don't know, I... You know, I can't. She's always nagging me, and I just, I've got to work, and it's work. Work's always responsible. Stop. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I mean, that's really the centerpiece of emotional maturity is wrestling with that uncomfortable question, isn't it? Because I would rather just push that off. I would rather deflect that attention. And then Jesus says this. He says this in the next verse. I love this. Jesus says to him what? What does he say? Get up. Pick up your mat. And walk. This idea of get up is the same phrase of resurrection. It's the same kind of idea when Jesus talks about resurrecting, when the writers describe Jesus right Something dead is now becoming alive. You've been good as dead, Jesus says. Now it's time to li live. And his obedience, coupled with God's faithfulness, leads to life change. And those two work in tandem with each other. There's a degree of faithfulness to what God is saying to me. I don't understand what it looks like to get off this mat. I don't even fully understand what will happen if I get off this mat. 
but there is a God in the universe who's told me to get off of it. So as I step off of it, now God, I can act now. I can move now. I can do something on your behalf. So if you're taking notes, let me kind of pack this into a couple action steps for what does spiritual courage look like? How do we leave here this week? I want to give you a couple things to do. I'm going to challenge you this week to to embrace fully this principle of a next step. Or you could leave here and go to Flip Daddy's and go, hey, how was that talk? I don't know. He talked about something about, um, what was that about? Oh, Inside Out. We gotta go, we got to go watch that movie. Can I just kind of raise the temperature for a little bit? Couldn't that be the plan of the enemy? Just to keep you on the mat for the next year, the next year, and the next year. I was counseling a couple who's 23 years into marriage. Uh, Don't worry, they don't go to this church, so I'm not breaking confidence, anything like that. And Man, their marriage is broken. It's just broken. And they're volleying back and forth at who's responsible for what, and I mean, and it's, you know, your fault. No, it's not. It's your fault. No, 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 no. And it's just going back and forth. And I said, look, 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 time out. There's so much blame here. I don't want to spend another 20 minutes trying to assess who's more at fault. You both have train wrecked this marriage. Here's the question. Do you want to fix it? Because I've got 40 more minutes. And I'd rather spend 40 more minutes moving you forward than staying on this mat. You know what happened? I don't know. I haven't talked to him since. And they're Christ followers. It's just, it's so easy to stay here, isn't it? So let me give you a couple steps. You decide what to do with them. These are the steps that I think I'm learning to take. I have found great success in my faith and my confidence in who God is when I've taken these things. The first one is desire. Despite the excuses and even really kind of the absence of emotional maturity that this guy has and even his physical limitations and kind of the cultural expectations thrust upon him, there's this kernel of desire in him really the bible writers would maybe even describe it as a mustard seed of faith and 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 in that sort of display that small display you might not even he doesn't understand who jesus is he has no real sense of his revelation of, of he's the son of god he in fact he gets healed and he's like i don't even know who that dude was like and yet he has this nugget of desire, and God says, I can act in that way. See, let me just ask some questions. We talked about this last week. What do you, what do you desire for your family? What do you desire for your health? What do you desire for your emotional well-being? What do you desire? Do you desire to be married? Do you desire to be you know, single at 40 and healthy and, and grounded in that? Do you desire to what do you desire for your finances? What do you desire for your career? In any of those desires, that I think God's speaking into that, those good desires God wants to do something in. 
So how is God at work in your desire? All of us have desires. The next one is, and this is a big one, this one will ultimately be the hinge point, obedience. See, desire is only helpful if it leads us to act. I've watched God encounter many people who have a desire, yet refuse to act. Out of their fears, out of a lack of humility, they will not come forward and say, I'm addicted. Uh, Andy, I'm greedy. I'm so afraid. Andy, I am so intrinsically selfish and so broken. So, ultimately, yes, I want it. Then you've got to act on it when God starts to say, get up, get up, get up. Because without action, desire is eclipsed into a library of excuses. And another year, and another year, and another year of the same. So what actions do you need to take in light of the desire that you know right now you have? What action? What, what's like one action you can take? What's it look like for you to get up? And walk. It looks different for all of us, but what's the action that you need to take? Then this last step, and this is a step I want us to just carry with us in the midst of trying to understand desire and action, and this is the, to be watchful, to be people who are watchful. This guy is uh, high-fiving his buddies because he's free now, and he's like, yeah, check this out. You know, everybody's like, Whoa! Paul, how'd you do that? And he's like, I don't know, man. This dude with a robe and really beautiful hair touched me and told me to get up. And he walked away and it was amazing, man. They're like, dude, you're like a really good dancer. He's like, I know. And so they're talking about all this good stuff. And all of a sudden, Jesus circles back around to him. Think about that. There's hundreds, there's thousands of people. And the God of the universe circles back around to this dude. And as he circles back around to us, and he says this in verse 14, Jesus found him at the temple because he's going to the religious community. He's like, look, what that, look, 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 look. He's excited. And he says, see, you are well again. Look, look what God did in your life, man. You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, your Father in heaven has intervened on your behalf. But you are inclined towards behavior, beliefs, and actions that you can easily open that mat right back up. And before you know it, you're right back on it. Be alert, be aware. Do what you need to do every day so that you do not go back on that mat. Because that's not my desire, God said. But there's actions you can take. There's beliefs that you can go right back into that'll put you right back on that mat. 
That's why I think this prayer is such a powerful prayer. We're going to we're actually leave today with this as an invitation for us to be praying. You can pray this with your kids when they go to school. You can teach this to your spouse. You, could, you as a family could make this one of your central prayers when you're facing a big decision. You're single. This could be the thing that you make as a decision when you have a career choice. Here's David, and he says this. Search me, God. God, search me. Move past the 10%. Examine everything. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. What am I nervous about? Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive thing in me. And then God, lead me. Steer me off this mat. What would look like in your life if this became the rhythm where you said, God, move past the surface. I don't want to be religious with you. I, don't want to, I can spend my life examining the 10%, managing my behavior. I can go to a group, and how are you doing? I'm blessed. Ooh, that sounds really good. Wow, he's blessed. I can read that scripture to you and regurgitate. You know what people ought to do? They ought to get off their mat. Those darn Democrats, they're always on their mat, aren't they? Those dumb Republicans. And you know who's also on the mat? My mother's on the mat. Yeah, and my wife's on the mat. And how do we get people off this church doesn't preach the word of God? That's how they get off this mat. And everybody's like, "Woo!" But what about you? What about just you? Not your husband, not your kids, not your boss. Not the knucklehead on the stage who's teaching all the time. He's on a mat. What about you? What's truly driving me? What, just what are my thoughts? And then, God, how do you lead me? How do you lead me, God? See, what, let me ask you a question right now. What's the everlasting path for you? What's the path of truth that God is trying to woo you down? This is a wonderful time for us just to kind of slow down, Get ready for communion. Come to the Lord's table. But I would really strongly encourage us in light of this truth to not just come into this table unaware. Paul says, do not participate in communion and just continue in the pattern of sin and say, ah, you know what? I'm just going to continue to do this. If you read in Corinthians, Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. That'll, that'll, that'll shift the spiritual chemistry of your heart. So he says a man ought to examine himself before he takes this, before he pulls that body and takes in that cup and says, Jesus died so that I could live, so that I could get off the mat. What's my role? Am I keeping my family on the mat? Am I keeping my finances on the mat? What do I need to do? Not what does she need to do, he need to do, they need to do. What do I need to do? So the band's going to come back up here in a minute, and we're going to just spend a moment walking through our desire. I want to just, with just kind of everybody's close their eyes for a few minutes, we're going to lead for just a little bit of a ministry moment here. Let me just ask some questions. As you think through your desire to change, even if it's just a mustard seed, let me encourage you, that's enough. That's enough, man. 
you can change. For those of us in this room that you know God now has told you, get off the mat, enough with the myths, enough with the excuses, it's time for you to act in obedience. Your prayer today is, God, I know you've already spoken to me. Man, doggone it, you're speaking to me right now through this guy. And I need to leave here and I need to be obedient. I need to break that relationship off. I need to start this new habit. I need to, you know, whatever it is, I need to act. And for all of us in this room, our prayer today is that, God, you'd help us to be watchful. You'd help us to be watchful. As we're praying, I'd encourage you to just take out your next step card. Let's, um, let's make some steps here known for ourselves and for our well-being. I think a, just a powerful step can be today is to, to do that non-religious decision and say, Jesus, come on in the inside of my life. You know, I've kind of managed the exterior of my life pretty well up to this point, but I know in order for me to really get off the mat, I need a personal relationship with you, and I've, I want to make that declaration today. I, you just check that box. It just says, I'm, I'm declaring today Jesus is the leader of my life, as whatever that means. I don't even understand fully what that means, but it sounds like that's the step I need to take. And we promise we'll follow up with you and help you understand that even more fully, but that is a great first step. The next step is really a step of obedience. It really is. It's ultimately a step of obedience. It's that doing part. And that's being baptized. That's just saying, my life is physically, I'm going to f- celebrate what God's done in my heart by physically going underwater and be transformed. Again, I don't, I don't have it all figured out, but I know that's the step I'm going to take. I'm going to be obedient. Check that box. Here's the step that I think I'm just curious, and we'll be praying for you this week, as Matthew said today. Andy, today... I will pick up my mat. No more excuses. Check that box. I know in my life, I've got to pick up the mat. The next thing is, I want to be a person who prays like the psalmist said. So I'm going to be praying this week that psalm. I'm going to write that psalm down. And when I'm in a point of great decision, I'm going to be praying those same words, those ancient words that still speak to me today. And another option you could choose, you could choose this or all of them, I don't really know how it hits you, is there's a reading plan on a Bible app called YouVersion. You could get it, it's five days. So you can take two days off. It's called Unglued. I started it this morning. And it already has hit me a little bit about some things. Day one. So you could read that plan and see how God works and intervenes there. Let's pray about these things. Then we're going to come to the table as people who have responded to what God is doing in our life. We're going to celebrate His death. We're going to celebrate His life. We're going to celebrate the fact that He speaks resurrection to us even today. We're not going to leave here on the mat. We're not going to leave here as people who blame other people and live as victims. We're going to live as victors, people who experience the love of God. Let's pray together. Father, these things are your desire, Lord. You want us to be well. And I'm thinking today of my friends here who are making decisions for the first time to to no longer just be religious, but be in relationship with you. I'm praying for my friend today who knows the mat that he's been on for the last 
10 years of his life. And it's, he's picking that up with great fear, uh, with great conflict in his emotions, but he knows it's the right thing to do. I pray you'd bless him, you'd empower him, you'd empower her, you'd empower this family that says we're getting off the mat. I'm praying for that person that's going to be engaging Scripture. All these steps, Lord, do your work in all of them, and we will celebrate you. In Jesus' name.